good, super friends. It's your deal, Pepe, representing the West Side, Sundan Park, 575. Here to tell you about our Patreon. Let's go, cruising down the I-10, podcast be bumping, TAC on the mic, the homeboys be nothing, knowledge bombs be dropping like with Stephen Hawking, and the laughs keep coming like with Jimmy Fallon, but you wanna be a homie, VIP, MVP, take the first toke, but it's only $2 so you don't choke, episodes be at free, a week early, gluten free, and of course, no MSGs, hook you up each show with the weekly shout out, send you stickers to Flex in the Walmart checkout. Patreon.com slash technically a conversation Cheaper than cigarettes at the gasoline station Patreon.com slash technically a conversation Link in the show notes Thank you for your donation In 2013, 200 bottles of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon went missing from the Buffalo Trace Distillery making international news Each bottle often fetches over $4,000 on the secondary market making it one of the most expensive and sought-after whiskeys in the world. While Toby Kurtzinger was convicted of the crime, none of the bottles were ever recovered, and the evidence seems to suggest that he might not have been responsible. Today, we'll go over the case and key points of the investigation, the alcohol theft and drug ring Kurtzinger was a part of, and who might have been responsible for the great Pappy Van Winkle bourbon heist of 2013 on this episode of Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Elena. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing good also. So in the last episode, you let us know that Dry 30 didn't go too well for you. How about Whole Foods 30 or whatever? (laughs) Towards the end, I started not really following it as much. I try to be as clean as I could, but sometimes I was just too lazy to cook and it happens. It was either that or not eat at all. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. I know how it is sometimes. And I, I find myself cooking a lot less than I wish that I did. Yeah. Other years I've done great. It was just this year. I don't know for whatever reason I couldn't finish it, but I'll try again some other time during the year. What made you break first? The lack of alcohol? Or the lack of preservatives in your food? (laughs) (laughs) Normally, the lack of alcohol doesn't bother me, but this year it it did. And um, I think it was just like some stressful days at work that I was just kind of like, you know what? I just deserve it. I don't care what anybody says. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you do have to treat yourself. Well, that was pretty much it. Yeah. It makes the days like worth it sometimes. It's like, okay, I had a shitty day, but now I get to reward myself. Right. (laughs) I couldn't find other ways of rewarding myself except for with booze, so. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) I reward myself whether I deserve it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this is going to be kind of a long episode, so enough fucking around, Elena. Ready to get started? I am. Let's get started. Great. Let's get started. That's what I just said. (laughs) Hey, you already know what my spiel is. You're copying me, girl. (laughs) All right. Touche. All right. Well, since we are talking about alcohol, 
Have you ever drank whiskey before? Yes. What's your favorite brand, or do you have a favorite brand? Crown Royal is that considered a whiskey? Scotch whiskey, right? No, that's a Canadian whiskey. Was it a whiskey? It is a whiskey, and Scotch is a whiskey too. I would say just because I can't think of another brand or name, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> that's a good whiskey. That was my gateway drug into whiskey. I would say. Right. I don't know if you know this. I know I shared it with your husband Antonio, but I pretty much stopped drinking beer. Because it was causing my gout to flare up like a pack of hemorrhoids. I'll still drink if I'm at a party or a get together or when I visit my dad on Wednesdays. But at home, I pretty much drink whiskey, and I haven't had a gout attack since I switched. So I don't know. It's just anecdotal, but I guess it worked, or at least it worked for me. Yeah, some correlation between the beer and the gout attacks. Wow, I didn't know that. I, I mean, I knew I've noticed that you've been drinking the whiskey a lot more and bringing them over. Like bringing it over to my dad's, our dad's, but I didn't know because of the increase of gout attacks. Yeah, I was starting to get gout a lot, and then I googled to see if whiskey was better, and it said, "Well, really, no alcohol is good for gout, but if you insist on drinking whiskey, is better than beer." So I was like, "Sold." Awesome. What about the cherry pills? Oh, I stopped taking those like in the nineties or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you should have、uh, reintroduced them, no? You know, I'll have to research that more. Like now that there's been more time and probably more research done to see if they were actually doing anything or if it was just a placebo or old wives' tale or something. All right. Now, as you probably know, whiskey can get really expensive, so that brings out the nerd in me and makes me research to try and find some of the best value bourbons I can come across. I even started a little whiskey club with a couple of friends, where you get together once a month. We each bring a bottle, taste them, talk about them. So shout out to Angel and Bryant, Bryant, and another buddy, Mikey. Both told me that they've recently started listening to our show, and they both said that they really enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, don't forget we also have a Patreon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can contribute to your whiskey and to the Patreon. Watchala. <laughs> She's like from the school of the boiler room. Always be closing, girl. What What are your ABCs? <laughs> Always be closing. <laughs> okay, so you guys、uh, meet up virtually or virtually? They're local. Yeah, they're local. Oh, okay, cool. Bryant, even though he lives on Horizon now, he's actually from Sunland Park, representing five zero five five seven five or whatever you guys are now. Five seven five, baby, representing. So and he's really enjoying our show. Like he'll be telling me, "Oh shit, I just heard your episode on this," and then like he'll talk about some of the stuff. So I'm glad that he's enjoying it. Oh, I'm glad too. Nice, welcome. And I said, "Welcome to the show." So while talking about whiskeys, specifically bourbons, which is my favorite, is a lot of fun. That wouldn't make for a very compelling episode of technically a conversation. That's not what our super fans have come to expect from us. So if I'm bringing it up, it's because there's some fuckery involved. And is there ever fuckery in this story? I always love me some fuckery. You get your your months worth of fuckery in this episode. <laughs> It's a good thing the months so almost over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, when this comes out, I think it'll be like the second week of February. So see,、si. get start off February right. <laughs> the following is from a Thrillist article by James Higdon, a Men's Journal article by Reeves Weedman, an Esquire article by Lawrence Crank. A Screen Rant article by Matt Morrison and a News Politics Bourbon article by Brad Bowman. Link in the show notes. 
Pappy Van Winkle is considered the Cadillac of bourbons. Pappy, Pappy Van Winkle? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I had this exact same reaction the first time I ever heard about it. All right. Continue. <laughs> and, and it was actually Isela the first time that I ever heard about Pappy Van Winkle. I was like, ah, la verga, what the fuck is that? But no, you're you're going to have some respect for Pappy here after we're done with this story. All right. <laughs> He's no longer going to be your pappy. He's going to be your daddy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Pappy Van Winkle is considered the Cadillac of bourbons. It's highly sought after by collectors and bourbon aficionados for its great taste, legendary, mythical status, and rarity. While a bottle of its flagship 23-year bourbon retails for $250, they only make 84,000 bottles a year so they commonly sell for over $4,000 on the secondary market. When 200 bottles go missing, people notice, and it makes international news. That's what happened in 2013 when the great Pappy Van Winkle bourbon heist, or Pappygate, as it's often referred to, occurred. Pappygate. <laughs> A Netflix documentary in 2021 introduced many people to this crime and its cast of colorful characters. A wider bourbon theft ring, police corruption, comically insecure whiskey distilleries, and steroid abuse. And they almost got away with it too, if it wasn't for an anonymous tip. But despite all the attention, some mistakes might have been made. Grab your Glencairns, give yourself a generous pour, and let's discuss the great Pappy Van Winkle bourbon heist of 2013. Before we do, are you familiar with the story, Elena? I can't say that I am, no. Awesome. I know that you like true crime, so hopefully you enjoy it. I also enjoy Netflix documentaries, so I'm surprised I haven't uh, come across that one. <laughs> if you want to watch it, the documentary is called Heist, and it's the last two episodes called Bourbon King. Oh, okay. So it's like a part of a series of different heist stories, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I haven't watched it. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird because when I started writing this article... I actually thought this was going to be episode number 138, and I was super excited that we were going to be doing episode 138 together uh -huh. because I had been planning this for months. Then I realized it was only episode 136, and I had to pivot to another story. Oh. But I was thinking that maybe we can bring you on in a couple of weeks for episode 138 since it's a milestone episode. Sounds good. Cool. And if there's ever an episode that's going to get us sued or banned from YouTube, it's going to be episode number 138. <laughs> <laughs> so if you listen to us on YouTube and you notice that episode number 138 is missing, look for it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. All right, so enough about episode number 138. We're on episode number 136. Elena, do you want to take a guess at why Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, specifically their 23-year bourbon, is so rare? Must be maybe like the barrels that they use to age it in. I don't know. Some kind of ingredient that they use that's kind of rare? Well, you're kind of close with the, with the barrels. Uh, let me do a real quick bourbon lesson here. In order for an alcoholic beverage to be called a bourbon, by law, it has to meet the following criteria. And keep in mind, the criteria for whiskey is different. Not all whiskey is bourbon. The rules for whiskey in general are a bit looser. And this is by Nick Leghorn. Not to be confused with Foghorn. I said Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> 31 whiskey. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I was like, foghorn, leghorn. <laughs> I say, I say it. <laughs> the mash bill or recipe has to be at least 51% corn. It has to be distilled at a maximum of 160 proof and be barreled at a maximum of 125 proof. This just means that you have to water it down to 125 proof or 62.5% alcohol before it goes into the barrel. And it can only be watered down with pure water. They must be aged in new charred oak barrels. Other whiskeys can reuse barrels, but for bourbon, it's one and done. Like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, baby. One and done. <laughs> <laughs> what a waste, though. Oh, I hope they recycle those barrels for the whiskeys. Yeah, they do. I know that for scotch, they do like to use uh, old bourbon barrels. Oh, okay. And since they're already used, they kind of get them like at a discount. Mm -hmm. So they do use them a lot for scotch. Oh, okay. That's good. Straight bourbon must be aged for a minimum of two years. If the label doesn't have an age statement, it must be aged for at least four years. By law, if you are to call yourself bourbon, you have to abide by this criteria. This is the legal definition of bourbon. It's pretty clear, right? Yes. So the thing that makes Pappy unique, especially their 20-year and 23-year bourbons, is that at the time they were bottled, they had no idea that their whiskey was going to become this popular or sought after. What was put in those barrels 23 years ago is all that there is. You can't go back in time 23 years and barrel more whiskey. You also have to account for evaporation. Every summer that whiskey is stored in a barrel, you lose some to evaporation. This is known in the industry as the angel's share. And just to give you an example, a 55-gallon barrel of Pappy that is aged 20 years will lose 50 gallons to evaporation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So at the end of those 20 years, you're left with only five gallons of bourbon. Wow. No, those angels had some really good shares, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> I would want to be one of those angels at a Pappy distillery. For real. Also, as a bourbon distillery, you're losing almost 95% of your product, not to mention the cost associated with storing the barrels. So it's pretty much all a loss until the point that you bottle it and sell it. If something were to happen to the barrels or if there was a contamination or even if the bourbon just doesn't taste good, you just lost 23 years of time and money and you have nothing to show for it. Oh, that sucks, man. So let me tell you what happened. In 1988, when they barreled some bourbon for Pappy 20-year, they had no idea that they were going to receive a score of 99 from the Beverage Testing Institute in 2008. That's almost a perfect score. Mm -hmm. When 2008 people saw this, that drove the, the demand for Pappy 20 through the roof and Pappy 23 by association because if 20 is good, 23 had to be better, right? Mm -hmm. The Pappy 15-year scored a 98 in 2004. Buffalo Trace Distillery, which makes Pappy Van Winkle by association, saw a huge boost in sales and scarcity of some of their other bourbons as well. And to this day, it's still very difficult to find a lot of their brands like Buffalo Trace, Wellers, and Eagle Rare. And I know because I've been looking for a few months for some of these just because I want to try them. Wow. Do you know if you've ever had any of those bourbons? I'm pretty sure I have not. <laughs> so not even like... An exclusive bar here, do you think, would have it? Or like a really uh, expensive place here in the city? It's possible. I mean, some of them, like the Buffalo Trace, that's pretty much a $30 bourbon. Uh, some of the Wellers are about $30. Uh, I think Eagle Rare is about $35 a bottle. 
So it's not that they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. I think just the fact that they're a good price and they're made at the same distillery where they make Pappy Van Winkle. People are like, well, I know that I can't get Pappy Van Winkle because I don't have $4,000 to blow on a bottle. Yeah. But since it's made at the same distillery, you know, maybe Buffalo Trace will get me there, you know? Or a lot of times people call Wellers the poor man's Pappy because they, they kind of have the same mash bill, the same recipe. Mm-hmm. So people are like, well, I can't get Pappies, so I'll get Wellers. And I think the one that's the same mash bill as a Pappy is like a $65 bottle. So that's like the great value Pappy. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but again, it's impossible to find, you know? Crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's super crazy how this is. The Buffalo Trace Distillery in Frankfort, Kentucky is where our story takes place. Even though the bourbon thefts could be traced back to 2008, no one really noticed anything until 2013 when more than 200 bottles of Pappy Van Winkle were noticed to be missing. Aside from those missing 200 bottles, there was really no idea that anything more elaborate was going on. In February of 2015, Mark Rutledge, a manager at Intel, was at his gym talking with some buddies about impressing some friends and coworkers by taking them to a bar in Louisville, Kentucky that had Pappy for $100 a shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> Imagine that being $100 for one shot. I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, what was I going to say? It sounds like a steal or a deal. You're still not paying $4,000 for a bottle and you can still taste it. True, but keep in mind the retail price for a bottle of Pappy is $250. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Well, I mean, you're always going to pay way more anyway. <laughs> of course. But if you were to go to like your total wine or your specs and they just so happen to have Pappy, you could get it for $250. That's how much they would sell it. Right. But of course, they sell out everybody the moment they hear there's a drop. It's like the fucking like the, the sneaker drops where they, oh, we're releasing like these Jordans or whatever. And everybody goes fucking crazy and buys them. And then they end up on eBay for like $10,000. It's the same thing with Pappy. Like Stanley Cups? Yeah. Yeah. This is like the 2013 Stanley Cups. Oh. <laughs> everybody get in line at your nearest Target. <laughs> That's super crazy too. I can't believe how crazy people are going for these things. I know. It's, I, I can't even with people right now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say that you were at a bar and now that you know like how sought after, how rare Pappy is, if you had the opportunity to taste Pappy for $100, would you do it? Yes. I think so too. I think I would try to. Like that's more than what I would be willing to normally pay for a bottle of whiskey. Like I think I have a hard time paying more than like maybe like $50. I think 50 is like my upper limit. But if it's something that's that rare, like if I could find Pappy for 250 at like Costco or some shit... <laughs> Like, I'm going to pick that fucker up, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll keep my eyes out. I'll keep a lookout. <laughs> Shit, I'll buy two, sell one for 4000 and I'll keep the one for 250 and make myself a little profit. Yeah, smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Mark Rutledge was going to be leaving for a conference in Texas, and he wanted to bring some pappy along. One of the guys at the gym, Gilbert Toby Kurtzinger, who worked at Buffalo Trace, told Rutledge, that he could get him a bottle of Pappy 20-year for $1,000. And again, considering that this stuff sells for over 4000 easily, 1000 was a steal. Mm-hmm. Rutledge told them that he was interested in that and more if Kurtzinger could acquire it. A week later, Kurtzinger showed up with nine bottles, which he let Rutledge have for $3,000. Imagine that, nine bottles for $3,000. How was he able to verify that they were like true Pappy bottles? 
Because Kurt Singer worked at Buffalo Trace, where they make them. Yeah, but he could have just slapped a label on another <laughs> on another bottle <laughs> and pretended. <laughs> Slap a bottle on like Evan Williams or some shit like the $16 bottle. Yeah, I mean, you never know. <laughs> True. And I guess if you are buying things from the secondary market, there is always a risk that you're going to get um, fall prey to something like that. But everything seemed to suggest that these nine bottles were all legit. Okay. So on March 11th, Rutledge boarded his plane to Texas with most of the bottles. That same day, a detective in Frankfort, Kentucky, received an anonymous tip that whiskey was being stolen by the barrel from Wild Turkey. So just for context, Wild Turkey is their own company, and they have nothing to do with Buffalo Trace. The detectives followed up on the tip, and they showed up to a house. As soon as they got out of the car, they could smell the bourbon. They went out to a backyard shed and discovered five oak barrels covered in tarp. They lifted up the tarp and noticed that the barrels were spray-painted to hide all identifying marks, the maker's mark, as they call them. The barrels turned out to be filled with premium bourbon distilled by wild turkey and had a combined value of $30,000. Oh, wow. Would you like to take a guess at who owned the house? Probably the same guy that was selling the pappy bottle to his buddy, no? <laughs> Correct. It was none other than our protagonist, our hero, Toby Kurtzinger. <laughs> so let's take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we'll talk about everything found at this house, including guns, steroids, erectile dysfunction drugs, and the little criminal empire that he was running. Probably some cocaine too. There was no cocaine that I could find. Oh man, just kidding. <laughs> Girl, this already got steroids and erectile dysfunction <laughs> drugs. You want more, girl? <laughs> Just seems like it would have been part of the story. <laughs> that would have definitely made the, the story a little, just a tiny bit more interesting. <laughs> but you're going to find that once we start going through some more of this story, especially some of the text messages that were discovered on this phone, this story gets really interesting really quick. Nice. Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. We're a podcast based in the Savannah, Georgia area. Savannah is widely known as the most haunted city in America. We bring you stories not just from Savannah, but from all over. Thus, the beyond. We cover a myriad of topics on our show, including the paranormal, oddities, unsolved mysteries, true crime, and bi-weekly reports from our local police blotter. 
We also do a weekly segment called What We're Watching. And we'll also discuss the ongoing antics of our two furry canine friends on our segment, Layla and Coffee Talk. So tune in every week on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to Scary Savannah and Beyond. Everywhere, podcasts are sold. You know podcasts are free. What do you mean free? I'm doing this for free? That's scary. No, that's Scary Savannah and Beyond. back we're back did you sell any pappy van wink on the black market during our break no if i did i probably would not be here right now (laughs) (laughs) at four thousand dollars a bottle (laughs) be counting them benjamins right (laughs) right (laughs) what about erectile dysfunction drugs no i can't say that i did that either (laughs) so what do you think about the story so far it's pretty interesting no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) uh it's it's cool i like it i like that it involves booze so it's one of my favorite subjects and it's funny that we both had episodes that were booze adjacent i know i thought that too i was like wow (laughs) you like telepathically synced (laughs) yeah when we took the picture for i guess for the socials i was like hold on wait i have a prop and i brought up uh my little glenn karen I had a little bit of uh, early times bottled and bond in there. I think right now I'm drinking Larceny. I was like, I better switch to a lower proof bourbon here. <laughs> and you were like, um, oh shit, I wonder if we're covering the same thing. And I was like, I'll be super surprised if you know about this whole Pappy Van Winkle heist and shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I held up my beer too. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, we're both going to talk about booze. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of booze, before our break, we talked about the Popo showing up at Kurt Singer's home and finding a treasure trove of illicit contraband. And that sweet, sweet aroma. <laughs> yes. They knew that there was bourbon there before they even got out of their car. They could smell that shit. <laughs> I know. All right. So in addition to the five barrels of wild turkey, they found that Kurt Singer had 11 handguns, five rifles, three shotguns a silencer, half a dozen types of anabolic steroids, various drugs for erectile dysfunction, a bag full of hypodermic needles, and a partridge in a pear tree. Oh my God, I was just going to say the same thing. (laughs) 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 Jesus. (laughs) We are sinking telepathically. (laughs) I know. I wonder if we're like uh, twins, like five years removed and shit, and we can like feel each other's pain or something. I think so. Remember how (laughs) I would tell you that I could like know what you were going to say before you even said it. But there was like a moment in time that we were just so synced up. It was so crazy. I know even our periods were synced up and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, imagine that. (laughs) It was all that ibuprofen you were taking. (laughs) I know. My testosterone was through the floor or something. (laughs) It was through the floor. Well, it wasn't through the roof because it was lowered from all the ibuprofen. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm making this shit up on the spot, so. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have hung up with Kurt Singer and hooked up with uh, various erectile dysfunction (laughs) drugs. (laughs) I know, I'm wondering, was he selling that to people he knew needed it, or did he need it himself? Do we know this? We do not know this. Oh, man. (laughs) But I do, well, we're going to. We're going to go into it a little bit, but apparently one of the symptoms of steroids is that this does actually boost your estrogen. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So a lot of times they do need to take uh, testosterone and they do need to take, um, you know, like uh, erectile dysfunction drugs just because like it's like, you've heard of limp biscuit? Yes. It's like limp (laughs) dickskit. Discuit. <laughs> Limp discuit. Limp discuit. <laughs> oh no. So yeah. uh you're talking about something similar or Viagra, right? Yeah, Viagra is a form of erectile dysfunction drug. They didn't specify like what the brand names were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that would be considered an erectile dysfunction drug. The little blue pill. All right. So Kurtzinger told the cops that he had obtained the bourbon from a friend who worked at Wild Turkey. And he was just holding it for him. (laughs) Yeah, he was just holding it for a friend, you know, like as one does. No big deal. Yeah, I've got a couple of barrels of bourbon in my backyard too, just holding it for friends. Yes, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And as I say that, like the fucking SWAT comes in through the fucking windows and shit. (laughs) I know. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. They're going to come galloping down those hills. (laughs) NSA? That was totally a fucking joke. That was really a joke. <laughs> Speaking of joke, though, when they asked Kurt Singer to see his phone, he told them to ignore any text about selling Pappy. They were just meant as jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pay attention to those. They, they mean nothing. Yeah, no, no, that's just jokes. And luckily, the police had a great sense of humor and they were totally cool, as you would probably expect. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Kurt Singer... His wife, Julie, and eight others were indicted on charges of operating a criminal syndicate that trafficked bourbon and anabolic steroids. And aside from having a great sense of humor, the police were great at the maths, as they called them the Kurtzinger Nine, even though there were 10 of them. (laughs) Okay. It just rings better, okay? (laughs) The Kurtzinger Nine, yeah, it does have a nice ring to it. I agree. (laughs) So they were billed in the media as bourbon countries. Ocean's Eleven. And because Kurtzinger worked at Buffalo Trace, automatically people wondered and assumed that Kurtzinger was behind the 200 Pappy bottles that went missing in 2013. But the barrels at Kurtzinger's home were from Wild Turkey, and Wild Turkey didn't even realize anything was missing at this point. So this suggested that Kurtzinger was running a bigger and more elaborate criminal operation. And do we know how he got those barrels if he didn't work there? We'll actually get into that in a couple of paragraphs. Oh, it's a part of the nine slash 10. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the 10 in the Kurtzinger nine. <laughs> yeah. So the police recovered $100,000 worth of whiskey from the Kurtzinger home and began their investigation. They discovered that Kurtzinger began stealing whiskey from Buffalo Trace in 2008. He started small by stealing bottles from display cases. He played in a softball team and started selling bottles to people that he would meet while playing. Most of the people he sold to didn't know that they were buying stolen bourbon. He would tell them that he was selling off excess inventory, or whiskey that was unfit for bottling, or whiskey that was going to be destroyed for tax purposes. And since he often made deliveries wearing his green Buffalo Trace shirt, 
it added some legitimacy to it. Now, there are some parts of the story that contradict that because one source stated that customers would write on the checks that they were paying for softball lessons. Apparently, he sold one of his softball buddies $27,000 worth of Eagle Rare. So unless Babe Ruth came back from the grave to teach him baseball, I don't think any lessons would be worth $27,000. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Once his business started picking up, he had to get inventive to steal the bourbon. So he would fill up plastic barrels with whiskey and mark them for destruction. Later, he would see that they were disposed of personally in the back of his truck. After a while, he would just pay off security guards to look the other way as he drove past security with barrels in his truck. The truck would have so many barrels that it would bottom out trying to drive up the driveway. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so imagine the shit, the tires slamming into the fenders from all the bourbon. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I remember when, what were you doing? Oh, I was buying tile for the house and I went to Home Depot and they had to um, lift that shit onto the truck with one of those, um, I don't know what they're called. A forklift? Yeah, a forklift onto the, the truck. And I just remember that when they dropped it on there. Like everything just felt like super heavy. And I was like, whoa. So I could just imagine what this felt like. <laughs> yeah. What's well, funny that you mentioned forklift. When Kurtzinger started getting more comfortable, he would just drive a forklift with a pallet full of bottles through the parking lot and across the fence to the adjacent parking lot and place the pallet on the back of his truck. I know, Manches. I know, right? This guy had some big balls. Especially for a man on steroids, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Business was so good for Kurtzinger that he enlisted several friends to help expand his operation. He had people making sales in Lexington. Others were selling in Georgetown. Some were selling near the Tennessee border. One barrel ended up as a lawn ornament at the Cherry Blossom Golf Course. It was a pappy barrel, which would have been worth more than $100,000 when full. While the supply at Buffalo Trace was kind of limited, one of the men in his operation, Sean Searcy, was a driver for Wild Turkey. His job was to take the barrels from the Wild Turkey distillery to a cluster of warehouses 30 miles away where they would be left to age. And once a barrel went to a warehouse, it was pretty much ignored for years. Kurtzinger would simply text Searcy when he had an order, and Searcy would make a little detour to Kurtzinger's stepdad's barn roll them off the truck with an aluminum ladder, and go on his merry way. Wow. Each wild turkey barrel was sold for as much as $3,000. There were a couple of discrepancies here, though, as some sources said that the man's name was Mark Searcy, and others said that it was Sean Searcy. Also, some sources said that the barrels were taken to his father-in-law's house. Others said that it was the stepdad. Either way, sounds like Kurt Singer was running a tight operation here, right? Right. Did that answer your question as to where the barrels were obtained? Of course, <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> All right. There was also a bit of police corruption involved as well. During the investigation, it was discovered that a police officer from Frankfurt who used to play softball with Kurtzinger would go into bulk purchases of steroids with other members of the crew. But, but, you'll be happy to hear that when he was caught, he confessed that he was not selling it. It was for his own personal use. So that makes it okay, right? Yes. He also claimed that he had no idea the load of wild turkey he acquired was stolen and a bottle of Pappy that he received as a donation for the fraternal police organization was stolen by another cop. So it's like he never even had it, right? 
Right. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So since police officers famously protect each other and look the other way on their own crimes, it would come as no surprise that no charges were ever filed on this police officer. Ironically, this police officer was a department's D.A.R.E. officer. And for those that might not remember from middle school, D.A.R.E. stood for Drug Abuse Resistance Education. Remember those cute red ribbons they would give us? I do remember. (laughs) He was just trying to take drugs off the streets and take them himself so the kids wouldn't get to it. You know what? You're probably right. (laughs) I don't believe that he was was using them on himself. He was just trying to get as many of these steroids off of the streets so that the kids wouldn't use them. I think so. Mm -hmm. A lot of the fun came in the text messages that were found on Kurt Singer's phone. Apparently, everyone in his crew was really big into steroids, so a lot of times they would counsel each other. The names were omitted from the text threads, but in one of them, one of the guys was complaining that they were starting to lactate from all the (laughs) steroids that they were taking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Wait, so were all these guys like huge and buff? Do we we have pictures? No. Do you have pictures? I've only seen a picture of Kurtzinger and Searcy. Uh-huh. Searcy just looks like a regular dude. Kurtzinger looks like he could have been a wrestler in the 80s, back when um, they were kind of stocky. Right. But, um, I mean, you could tell that he was pretty strong. He looked kind of like Arn Anderson a little bit from uh, <laughs> The Four Horsemen and The Brain Busters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he kind of had like that receding hair a little bit. Yeah. He looked like he could have been like an 80s wrestler, I think. Interesting. <laughs> all right so we got we got one guy lactating here um another guy told him to start taking estrogen blockers so he could continue taking high doses of steroids with no side effects that's really sweet right they were just looking out for each other of course they have tips yeah they have tips yeah and tricks (laughs) yeah and floozies actually they do have floozies but um there's not a lot of information on that oh man (laughs) (laughs) One guy was even doing animal steroids, and I guess he got like an infection or something. So he was taking animal penicillin that he got from Tractor Supply Company. (laughs) What the heck is the difference? Like, what is animal steroids? I don't know. I don't even know what animal penicillin is either. I just imagine it's like high quantity of penicillin (laughs) or something. They said that you would get like to a horse or some shit. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't even know why you would give steroids to animals except for, I know people take steroids when they have like a, like a a rash or something or a a cough to constrict the lungs, but. (laughs) Yeah. But those are not anabolic steroids though. Those are different types of steroids. (laughs) But that's why I'm like wondering, like, what the heck, why would you inject steroids into an animal? Um, The only thing I could think of is maybe racehorses. Oh, to make them big. And make them big and make them faster. Yeah. Make him big and strong like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Kurt Singer. <laughs> <laughs> like Arn Anderson himself, Toby Kurt Singer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to take those steroids so he could um, be able to move those... Uh, those heavy-ass barrels, right? Yeah. <laughs> 55 gallons, girl. That's a lot of weight. Yeah, might as well. But, you know, this guy got an infection was taking animal penicillin. One of the other guys, though, was super sweet and offered to make him some chicken soup, which is adorable. Others were concerned if he had started barking or mooing or meowing as part of the side effects. Oh, no. (laughs) 
But you know, I do think that it's really great that everyone was there for each other and they were really just trying to help each other out. You don't really see that outside of TV or movies, or at least I don't. <laughs> like I stated, I couldn't find any information as to why they had so many erectile dysfunction drugs, but I'm guessing it was to counteract so much of the steroid use, especially if some of these fools were doing animal steroids. Yeah, for real. <laughs> like I alluded to earlier, evidently there was a lot of infidelity. And there was always a fear that one of the jealous lovers was going to turn them in. But it appears like Circe running barrels to Kurtzinger's stepdad or father-in-law's barn might have been the smoking gun. Apparently, Circe was on his way to deliver barrels to the barn in March when an unusually heavy snowstorm hit. Circe complained to a county employee that the dead-end country road where the barn was hadn't been plowed. This raised suspicions as to why a wild turkey truck needed to go down the road in the first place. You know, it was just the dead-end country road. Right. That same morning, the Franklin County Sheriff's Department got an anonymous tip. Anonymous in quotations. <laughs> well, I, I want to say it, it was anonymous because there's two different sides as to what events led up to the anonymous tip. If you remember earlier, I was talking about um, the, the buddy Rutledge who wanted to buy the, the bottles of Pappy Van Winkle to show off while he was at some conference in, in Texas. Mm -hmm. Well, that same day that he got the bottles of Pappy was the day that they received the anonymous tip. And also the same day that um, Cersei was trying to take those barrels into, into that barn is when they received the anonymous tip. So who knows really where this came from, you know? It, those are just like two coincidences. So really it is anonymous. So that same morning, the Franklin County Sheriff's Department got an anonymous tip, which was a catalyst for the police officers to go there in the first place. And uh, there was another discrepancy here, as some of the sources said that the wild turkey barrels were found at Kurtzinger's house and not the barn. Just thought that I would point that out because it just kind of seems like the sources are kind of, they're kind of on track, but they're, they give like different sides of it. Right. Now, although 10 people were implicated as part of the Kurtzinger 9 for allegedly engaging in organized crime, Kurtzinger was the only person that was sentenced to prison since he was believed to be the mastermind of the whole operation. And I'm sure everybody else said, I'll take a, a plea deal and I'll tell you everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> well, there's one person that we know for sure did take a plea deal. And we'll, we'll talk about that person in a bit. Okay. But um, Kurtzinger was sentenced to 15 years in jail, but was released after just one month on something known as shock probation, which can be given to first-time offenders who pose no threat to society. Have you ever heard about something like that happening? I've never heard of it as shock probation. But for somebody that was sentenced to 15 years in jail, being released after just one month. Was it jail or prison? It's the same shit. It's not. <laughs> uh, jail is where they hold you before you get sentenced to go to prison. But if, they, if the judge didn't see him as a threat, it doesn't surprise me. All right. To me, that seemed very unusual. And since I had never heard of shock probation, that made it sound even more unusual to me. Yeah, that's the only thing that I'm wondering, like, what, what that means, what shock probation means. And I guess since he was sentenced to prison, he was in prison and not jail. Oh, I was prison. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They let him out on supposed good behavior. And also, we need space for the real criminals who actually do pose a threat to society. This guy's not a harm. Although, I mean, he kind of was. He was 
giving people drugs <laughs> or selling them or whatever. True. He was also white though. So I, I feel like white people don't get as harsh of, of uh, prison sentences as people of color. So True. Now we were talking about the Netflix documentary earlier. And again, full disclosure, I never watched it. But from what I understand, this story was presented as being an open and shut case. No notes. And personally, whenever I hear a documentary is made, I always think that there's some motivation behind it. Sometimes it's just for entertainment purposes. Other times there's an agenda behind it. In this case, it appears like a lot of very important information was left out of the Netflix documentary. This is where I'm going to Midnight Shyamalan this shit. Okay. Midnight <laughs> or M. Night Shyamalan? Well, I'm the Juarez Shyamalan, so I'm Midnight <laughs> Shyamalan. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> So in the Netflix documentary, Sheriff Melton presented the barrels that were taken from Kurt Singer as proof that he was the mastermind behind the Pappy Van Winkle heist, but not one bottle of Pappy was recovered from Kurt Singer's property. The barrels were all wild turkey. All the evidence that they had came from Kurt Singer's phone, where there was pictures of bottles he took that appeared to be from the front seat of his truck or call logs to his clients, and this was enough to convict him in the public's eye. But it must be noted that no bottles of Pappy were ever recovered from Kurtzinger's property. Because he probably sold them all. It's possible. At least if we're going to believe Rutledge, the guy that purchased those nine bottles, mm -hmm. he sold at least nine bottles of them. Right. At least. Aside from the pictures of a few bottles of Pappy's on Kurtzinger's phone, there was no evidence to tie him to the Pappy heist. In fact, it's believed that the true perpetrator of the heist was a man named Greg Anglin, who was totally unrelated to Toby Kurtzinger. Greg Anglin even admitted that he stole as many as 15 cases or 180 bottles of Pappy from Buffalo Trace, but was given immunity for his testimony against Kurtzinger. Was he part of the 10? Nine? <laughs> no, he was totally unrelated you to- You said unrelated, but he worked at the same place. He, he worked at Buffalo Trace. Okay, weird. Yes, but somehow they, they gave him like a plea deal that if he testified against Toby Kurtzinger, they would pretty much give him immunity. Even though he did confess to stealing 180 bottles of Pappy, there were only 200 bottles missing or that were noticed to be missing. He stole 180 of them. Because they really wanted to get the other guy, even though they really didn't. He ended up getting a shock probation. All that worked for nothing. <laughs> right. Anglin even implicated another distillery employee, Susan Savard who would have him build her pallets of select liquor and place them near her office door. And Savard would pay him $100 and a case of Pappy for making her these pallets. Savard would then cook the inventory numbers so they could take as much liquor as they wanted and nobody would be the wiser. Now, Kurtzinger definitely was guilty of stealing large quantities of bourbon. He wasn't innocent by any stretch of the word. There's just no evidence of him stealing the 200 bottles of Pappy. All indications seem to suggest that Sheriff Melton had evidence that Kurtzinger had stolen bourbon and blamed the Pappy heist on him. And again, there were 200 bottles missing and Anglin admitted to taking 180 of them. It was too much work to try and uh, convict and research or whatever the other guy, I guess. It's just easier. He had already started with this one. Might as well just finish it. Ah. <laughs> uh. I hate that. I know. It's so stupid. Even like with all the fucking shit that they took from Kurtzinger, it would not have equaled those 200 bottles or at least 180 bottles that Anglin had. Yeah. But 
he was convicted for the Pappy heist and also the wild turkey stuff too. No, I'm, I imagine. Or they didn't care about that. Was that part of the conviction? I think they were much more interested in the Pappy because it's so expensive. And I think that Sheriff Melton said, this fool Kurt Singer's got a bunch of fucking stolen bourbon. And being that he works at Buffalo Trace, he must have stolen the Pappy. Which uh, again, Kurt Singer definitely stole. I mean, remember he, he would steal fucking pallets that would make his truck bottom out from how much liquor he had. But I mean, really, the whole reason anybody was even investigating this was for the 200 bottles of Pappy. And it's very possible he had nothing to do with the 200 bottles being missing. Right, yeah. Or at least 180 of them because, because there was somebody that confessed to him and they were like, no, no, shut up. We're going to give you immunity. Just say that it was Kurt Singer. <laughs> okay. But no, but Susan Savard, she would tell me that she would it's like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Just say it was Kurt Singer. <laughs> Jeez. Leading the witness. Aye, aye. Well, I guess it was a good thing he got shock probation then because he didn't, I don't want to say he didn't deserve it, but he didn't deserve the sentence for what they actually accused him of. Exactly. And that's about all I have to say about that. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this case, Elena? You're right. You know, with the whole, I do listen to a lot of true, true crime podcasts and documentaries. And it seems as though the biggest theme, I guess, in all of these documentaries that are unsolved or, or even solved is like a botched police investigation and them wanting to just hurry up their investigation and either A, not go through with it or B, just have, um, what's it called? Like not blinders, but where you just have like the tunnel vision and just uh, zero in on one person, even though that person is not the, the one that seems like they're the ones who did it. But, oh, it just sounds good for it. So let's just go with that. And I think that's a flaw that all of us as humans have. So we're kind of like dead set on something. It usually takes maybe like an exorbitant amount of evidence or convincing to make you see otherwise. Even if you're wrong, you know, and people are telling you all the reasons that you're wrong. If you're dead set on something, it's very hard for you to change your mind. And I think with law enforcement, it's no different, you know, even though I think some people kind of put them on a pedestal. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that they're just humans. It's just us being stubborn. Yeah. So I, I thought this was really interesting. Ever since I've been down this bourbon journey and then plus like with the whole whiskey club thing, plus like I feel like we, um, it's called the whiskey subscription club, but it's not a subscription and it's not a club. But we do have a subscription club. It's called Patreon and it's only $2 a month. That's only <gasps> 66 cents a day, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Watcha. <laughs> All right, so I guess you're like, all right, Jose, we're cutting you off here. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <sighs> no, but now that I've been doing that and I've been researching like what bottles I want to buy and everything, because again, I'm a nerd. Obviously, I'm a nerd. I have a fucking podcast, <laughs> but I like to research it like, you know, what's the story of this whiskey? Like what makes it unique? Where did it come from? Who came up with it? What are the flavor notes that I'm getting? <laughs> My palate is not that developed yet where people are like, well, I can taste like a little bit of vanilla 
And I get a little bit of like apricot flavor in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, this one tastes less strong than the other one. <laughs> I like this one more because it tastes more strong. It's more strong and more sweet and more smoky. Those are my flavor notes. And then it has the smokies. It has the, <laughs> the uh, smokies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's cool. Yeah, that's fun. Speaking of a smokies, special <laughs> shout out to our super homies, super friends, Sophia. Natasha, Eric, and Angie. Whoop, 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 whoop. If you want to be super cool and help support the show, get the episodes a week early and ad-free. Get your name shouted out on the show and get some stickers from us a few times a year. Check us out at patreon.com slash technically a conversation or check the show notes. You just need to see what the next sticker is. It's going to be badass. Well, you know what? I'm kind of redesigning it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I- I'm coming out with something really cool. It's got, um, if you know the Ramones logo, it's kind of like the Ramones logo. So okay. that's what I have in mind. But, you know, of course, I'll show you Anisela first before sh- making the order of them. Schmaking. Schmaking the order. <laughs> this is Sean Connery here to tell you about our Patreon. <laughs> Best of all, it's only $2 a month, baby. You can't even buy cigarettes or a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle for that. No, you can't. Shit, you can't even buy a bottle of Evan Williams Black Label for that. And I should know because I'm Sean Connery and I was Bond. James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) That was such an awful impression. I should never do that again. (laughs) I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. And on that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story about steroid-fueled lactating nipples oh my God. to share with us. <laughs> Those should be very interesting, (laughs) please. I don't know if you know this, but I've shared it with your husband, Antonio. I don't know why I said that weird. I was going to say, why did you say Antonio? (laughs) I thought it was just a glitch in the matrix. It was a glitch in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Leave us a voicemail at 915-317-69. <laughs> all right let me do it again and honestly this is the last time that i drink bourbon while i'm trying to re- record an episode i fucked up so many times <laughs> yes but it was so much fun <laughs> yes definitely the jokes were great <laughs>